Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. <laughs> oh, God, he's back. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a Womp Womp Wednesday as the 49ers lose a tight game to the Bears 14-9. With this week, though, we welcome back a founding member of the podcast for a reintroduction of the lightning round, and we've got special guests to help us break down the games this week. We've got from Bears Talk Underground, Larry Dyer, to help us break down the Bears game, and we've got friend of the pod, Joe McAtee, from Turf Show Times here to help us break down and preview the matchup against the Rams in Week 17. So we'll start first with Larry Dyer, and we'll and we'll welcome him on to talk about the Bears game, followed by the rundown, a lightning round, and then the Rams preview with Joe McAtee. Larry Dyer of the Bears Talk Underground. You can also find his work at armchairallamericans.com. It's good to have you on the Better Rivals podcast to recap the Bears game. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so this was a game that, uh, you know, we kind of we talked about it on your podcast a little bit, but we thought it would be a little tighter than many people expected. I mean, the spread was just four points, and it was about that tight of a game, uh, really, uh, pretty much for the entirety of the game. And it was on large part because of the 49ers' defense uh, and the strength of their defense and their ability to get pressure on Mitch Trubisky really kept this game close. Uh, and it, the Bears' offense didn't really have uh, too many explosive plays, and they couldn't really run up the score uh, against the 49ers. But really, I think the story of the game was their ability to to kind of ground the Bears' offense and keep this a defensive struggle. No, I, I agree. I mean, it was uh, kind of frustrating uh, to watch because the, the Bears had nearly 36 minutes time of possession and only generated two touchdowns. Uh, out of that, I mean, at best we were going to score 17 with the, the the field goal that Cardi Cody Parkey uh, missed early in the uh, in the football game. But scoring Robbie opportunities were still twisting that knife, my friend. <laughs> you know, man, it, it's funny about Robbie Gold, man, because everyone seems to have like a revisionist history when it comes uh, to Robbie Gold. As far as Bear fans uh, are concerned, all they see is regret when we see how Robbie Gold is playing. Nobody remembers. What a what a bad year he had in 2015 and and what a disastrous uh, preseason he had when we cut him. So, I mean, it, I didn't you know, I was sad to see Robbie Gold go at the time, but it, it turned out to be the best thing for for both parties. I mean, we're still not 100 percent in the kicking game, but Robbie's definitely doing better. He's had somewhat of a renaissance since he left uh, Chicago. But everybody seems to forget that he was not reliable when we when we when we let him go. It's, it wasn't a salary cap issue like everyone keeps saying it was. It was a production issue as far as I'm concerned. Now, as I sit here and I sip on my Briclotti unpeated Islay whiskey, which is delicious, by the way. Uh, it's the wow. only kind of like peated whiskey that I like. Other than that, peated whiskeys can go climb a tree. Uh, I think, OK, so Robert Sala's defensive game plan was actually kind of interesting to me. I would have thought that he would have dared Trubisky to throw the ball, that he would have loaded mm-hmm. up the box uh, and kind of try to try to stop Jordan Howard uh, and, and maybe have a safety in there against Tariq Cohen, but play that single high and, and kind of go to town and try to get pressure on Trubisky. Instead, Robert Sala played a ton of too high coverage, which is unusual for the 49ers, but has been more usual as of late after the bye week. They played 61% of their defensive plays in a too high look, 19 of 31 passes. Now, my question to you is, is that common? Is that the kind of look that you see against Mitchell Trubisky because that's usually a look that you see against maybe like the Rams where you want to stop the deep ball, but Trubisky's not known for his deep ball and yet the Niners seem to be daring the Bears to run and it seemed to work out because they were trying to disguise their coverage with Marcel Harris. He would kind of line up near the box and then zoom out into that cover two look and it seemed to work fairly well over the course of the game. Well, I think it's it's common in, in the way that, that Matt Nagy, in my opinion, he's He's a fantastic play caller. He's definitely an upgrade from what we had to deal with uh, during the John Fox era and the eras before, quite frankly. Uh, but he's he's not very good as far as consistently uh, running the ball. So I think that the that the 49ers were playing that look and, you know, kind of defending the pass because we throw a lot more uh, than we run. We as Bear fans have become increasingly frustrated in in how little Jordan Howard has been used. Uh, over the years, in fact, I kind of complained about it when I did my review show uh, the other day. It's like Jordan Howard averaged over four yards a carry, but he only carried the ball like 13 times 
uh, on Sunday. He needs to be a 20 to 25 carry a game guy. So I think the 49ers are playing that just simply because they know that by the numbers and watching the Bears do what they do, they're not going to try and grind the ball and, and run it down and, 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 and what have you, that uh, they're going to put the ball in Trubisky's hands and, and go with God. Yeah, now I do think there's another element to that split safety look, which I hope the Niners actually employ more of, because this is something that we learned when, of course, Vic Fangio was the defensive coordinator here. But one of the benefits to a split safety look is that you can disguise what you're doing more when you're in that split safety look. You have more options to disguise your coverage, because if you've got, you know, kind of a single high safety up there, you're playing cover three or you're playing cover one. There's not a whole hell of a lot that you're doing unless you try to kind of move that safety over and then drop another one into that cover two look, which is what the Niners try to do uh, a bit more frequently. But when you've got that cover two look, you can make that cover four, you can make it cover two, you can drop it in a uh, cover one robber and take that safety down in the, into the middle of the field. You can do a whole hell of a lot more, especially given the, that this is the passing league nowadays. And I think that that may have been what they were trying to do as well, is try to get Trubisky into some of the mistakes that he has been known to make over the course of the year and steal an interception or two, because it was pretty clear that turnovers were a focus over the course of the week because the Niners were getting after the ball and they actually won the turnover battle, which is not something that happens often for the 49ers. Yeah, I was kind of worried there for a while that the 49ers are going to double their turnover total for the season with the way that uh, <laughs> yeah, they were just be wrong, man. You wouldn't be wrong. Yeah. I mean, they were constantly ripping at the ball. I mean, I, I don't know if they saw something on film that the, that other teams didn't see in the way that they were attacking uh, the ball, but it just, uh, I mean, Allen Robinson had a fumble that was called back earlier on in, in the football game, uh, you know, and it just, uh, the, the interception that was, that was called back due to the holding penalty uh, and things like that. It just seemed like the 49ers were a lot more conscious about getting after uh, the ball. Maybe they were just hearing, were tired of hearing people talk about what their low turnover total was for the, for the week or, or for the season, I should say, but they were attacking the ball uh, quite crazy. It was like the, the, like the bears as far as how ball hungry they were on Sunday. I think that's probably it more than anything else. I think it was probably a bit of pride. And I, and I think sure. it was the fact that the Bears, who, of course, have the best turno turnover differential in the NFL, were coming into town. I think the defense was probably just saying, like, hey, we, we can be just as good as them. Let me show you. Uh, and so I'm sure that Sala probably told them a little something to get them a bit amped up for the game because they were, I mean, even as someone who's seen all of the games uh, a couple of times now, they don't normally go after the ball quite like that so I think they I think they were juiced in a little extra way to go after the ball and man you mentioned that interception in the end zone that's the one that gets me because that yeah. holding call was away from the play and Trubisky makes just an absolute boneheaded play I mean it was yes. it was his his worst play of the entire game and, and he actually had been playing well out of structure because most of the gains that he had were out of structure he had of course a long uh, throw to uh, the the tight end and of course he had another uh, play out of structure on the sideline which was a really really good throw but most of his big chunk gains were out of structure and this was another play out of structure and he just had a complete brain fart throws it straight to k1 williams and uh, you know holding uh, away from the play ends up negating mm -hmm. the pick uh, and that was i think really a game turning uh, a game turning call well, I, I agree, and and it was uh, reminiscent uh, for me. It gave me nightmares, uh, you know, gave me flashbacks of the things that the Bears did to themselves uh, last year. Because that's something that the Bears have monumentally improved upon this year. Is um, you know, th there were so many times last year and in the years prior, especially under John Fox, where we were just constantly shooting ourselves in the foot. Jordan Howard run for a touchdown, he gets called back for a holding penalty and so on and so forth. There's one mistake after another that would just impede uh, progress or impede our ability to stay in the game uh, with our opponents. And it was just, you know, especially for, for the holding call to be away from the play. And when they replayed the call, it looked legit to me. And I'm not saying that as, as a biased Bear fan who wanted that interception gone, but he did get a good hold of the of oh, the you're, defender, you're whoever right. it was on. It, it wasn't a bad and, call. It was just right. one of those things that, like, sometimes you see those things not get called because it has little to no impact on the play once sure, the quarterback sure. is out of the pocket. Yeah, but like I said, it was just one of those things where it's like that was definitely a lucky break for the Bears. And for years, I've watched that thing go, uh, go against uh, the Bears. And one of the reasons that we've had success this year is because we've cut down dramatically on things like that happening to us. Now, Kyle Shanahan's strategy going into the game was clearly to ride Nick Mullen's arm to victory. 
he said it in a post-game press conference that the only thing the Bears do better than stopping the pass is stopping the run. And, of course, you had the injury to your safety, uh, Eddie Jackson, which was kind of yeah. a big deal. So you have a game plan that was very clearly trying to take advantage of that injury, uh, but also the to kind of take advantage of what, what the, the team saw as the only deficiency in, in a really, really solid defense. And I'm really curious what other teams have tried to pass first against the Bears to win because the the game was within uh, the game was tight all game I, I mean it, it was not in a we're behind we have to throw a lot to get ahead kind of place and, and mm-hmm. yet the Niners ran 15 times and they threw it 38 times and that's basically a two to one ratio at that point and I'm not going to sit here and say that you know you've got to have balance because balance is kind of a farce right it's like what's intrinsically good about about balance when you're running the ball if you can't score points but I'm curious if other teams have really employed a similar strategy and if they've been successful. Um, t- like New England uh, tried that. They were a bit more successful than most. Uh, the Dolphins definitely did, which was heartbreaking because Brock Osweiler threw for 380 uh, against the Bears. I think that's still the most prolific day anyone's had against us uh, this year. But you know, o- overall, if anyone who did try to throw wasn't trying to sit back there and and launch it down, the field because you've got Khalil Mack on one end, Leonard Floyd on the other. You got uh, Akeem Hicks and Andy Goldman coming up the middle, and every now and then Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan will be blitzing as well. So you don't have all day back there. Anyone who's had a pass-heavy attack against the Bears has been three steps and get the ball out of their hands, uh, kind of thing. You saw the Packers have success with it week one. It's like after we beat the holy hell out of Aaron Rodgers in the first half of that game, he comes back hobbled with a bad leg in the second half, and it's all. One, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. Because all the plays that they had success with, he led three touchdown drives. Not one of them was a, um, he didn't, <coughs> excuse me, he didn't, uh, you know, dink and dunk his way, or he didn't throw big plays. He, you know, he threw up like the touchdown that beat us was like a seven yard route that turned into a 75 yard touchdown. It was a play like that, that, uh, that beat the Bears. So, I mean, it was, I think it was Randall Cobb that made the catch. He found a, he, he hit Cobb in open space and Cobb did the rest with his legs. It was like a, a busted coverage. Somebody wasn't where they were supposed to be. And Randall Cobb was able to turn it into a big touchdown. Yeah, you know, I think overall pressure uh, was really kind of the, the problem for Nick Mullins and the problem for the 49ers offense because really under, under no pressure, Nick Mullins played a pretty good game. I mean, he was 14 of 22. He had 171 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt against that Bears defense. Of course, when he had no pressure. Uh, those three batted passes were, though, a big problem. Uh, Akeem Hicks was getting a really, really good pressure along the interior against Weston Richburg. But once you get under pressure, Nick Mullins, you know, as much as with any quarterback, just has a lot of things fall apart. And when he was under pressure, he only completed eight for 16 passes, 4.4 yards per attempt and an mm-hmm. interception. And that interception, of course, was not his fault. It was, I think, Marquise Goodwin's fault for alligator arming that thing. Uh, but overall, I think even though Khalil Mack didn't have a sack uh, and even though they held the team overall to one sack, which was kind of surprising. Uh, yeah. And that one sack was, of course, on a linebacker blitz. It was Roquan Smith coming in on a blitz. The Nick Mullins was still under pressure and that pressure still very clearly affected the 49ers. I agree. And, and you know, there was one series in the third quarter where first, second, third down Khalil Mack hit Nick Mullins or got in his face. I mean, the pressures were definitely there. Um, but as far as actually getting to the quarterback, we only got Mullins down, uh, uh, once. So it was, um, the, you know, the pass, uh, protection, uh, was fairly good, uh, from San Francisco. We definitely disrupted Mullins uh, a lot and, and forced him probably to make some throws that he didn't want to make or, or what have you. But, uh, you know, overall he was, uh, he kept pretty clean on Sunday. Yeah, but there were throws that he also missed, too. I mean, especially early in the game, I think you had that throw to Dante Pettis before he got injured, where he was wide open, uh, and Mullins just sailed the throw. Uh, it mm-hmm. was just overall, it was a bad throw, and he I don't think he was even pressured on that one. That was one where he was able to kind of hit his back step on the drop and, and rotate into the ball and throw, and it was just off target. But he made the right read. He had single coverage on the backside, and, and he just wasn't able to hit that throw, and I think if he does... Then you know the Niners stay on schedule. That they are able to stay on schedule and they're able to move the ball. Um, yeah, I think there were holes uh, to be had. The problem was just that you know the Bears' defensive front was just too damn good, uh, and Nick Mullins wasn't able to perform under pressure, which is something that really only like the elite of the elite quarterbacks do. 
only Tom Brady is kind of in that realm where his performance under pressure is just about as good as his performance when he's not pressured. Uh, and last year, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, had a very, very similar situation. And that's, why I think, why everyone was so excited. Uh, but Nick Mullins is not either of those two quarterbacks. Uh, and it showed. Well, it's funny that you mention uh, Garoppolo, because aside from his uh, brain fart interception, uh, I, I felt that the performance that Trubisky had on Sunday was very reminiscent of the one that Garoppolo had against the Bears last year, where he was highly efficient. He only had the one interception uh, mistake, but for the most part, he just led his team down the field, one one completion uh, after another. And, you know, the stats showed Trubisky was like 25 of 29 on Sunday, a highly, highly efficient uh, day. And that's similar to what Garoppolo did a year ago, where they also only managed, uh, you know, 15 points and five field goals uh, last year, but he was moving the ball. They had a huge time of possession advantage over the Bears uh, last year and were able to get in a position to score just enough points to to win. And that's exactly what Mitch did uh, on Sunday. We had the two touchdown drives and the defense took care of the rest. You know, I think that while the, the, the raw numbers for Trubisky look good, I don't know that his game was in any way, shape, or form spectacular. I think it was probably just like an average game. It was a meg game, mm-hmm. which is about where Trubisky is for me as a quarterback. I think that when you look at his average depth of target early on in the game, it was not high, especially early on. It was very clear that the game plan for the Bears was to stretch the team out horizontally. And and you saw a lot of the kind of screens and horizontal passes that are that are not difficult throws for an NFL quarterback to make. And if that's what you're going to hang your hat on for Trubisky, it's like, okay, maybe he can execute within the offense, but that doesn't make him a great quarterback. And then, of course, you have the terrible, terrible decision to throw the ball backwards, which ended up in, in a, of course, a turnover for the 49ers on yeah. another horizontally kind of, you know, designed play where he's basically optioning and, and trying to throw the the pitch out to to a streaking receiver. Or I think it was actually Cohen that was out there. Um, it was. But, but overall, I think that I, I don't know that I would put Trubisky in the category of the game that that Garoppolo had last year. I don't think Trubisky had a bad game by any stretch. But when you look at what he was asked to do, he wasn't asked to do a whole hell of a lot. He did have good plays out of structure, but there were only two or three of them that were great. And then he had a cut. And then, of course, he had that, that boneheaded decision. So I would say that, like, overall, Trubisky played kind of the game that he's been playing all year, which is working within the offense. Credit to Matt Nagy horizontal plays, which are not difficult throws to make. He missed a couple of really, really obvious plays, especially that long third down early in the game. Uh, had a couple bonehead plays. You know, I, I wouldn't say that it, it was a, a great performance, but I wouldn't say it was like a terrible performance either. I just think, think it was a Trubisky performance. Right, and my argument was that it was an efficient one, like the one that Jimmy Garoppolo had last year. Also not a great performance. He threw an interception, made a bad decision, uh, you know, against the against the Bears. But statistically, he was he was pretty perfect throughout the game as far as being accurate and completing the passes that he did within the structure of the offense, because it was his first start last year. Didn't have a lot of uh, experience in the offense against the Bears a year ago. And Trubisky, for the most part, we were just managing the game uh, on Sunday and keeping the ball, moving the chains and keeping it out of San Francisco's hands. And that was that was enough to win us the game on Sunday. Yeah, I think if you look at their passing chart, though, you, you see efficiency all over the field, especially in the intermediate area. When you look at Trubisky's passing chart this game, if you look at the intermediate area, which is where, you know, really, really good quarterbacks feast, kind of like the, the long areas, like you hope they do it, but, it, you know, it's not guaranteed. And then the guaranteed stuff is low. I mean, he was 0 for 2 in the intermediate area on the left side of the field. Uh, he was 1 for 1, just one pass in the middle area of the field. Didn't make an attempt over to the right side of the field in the intermediate area. Everything else was really, really short uh, it, underneath 10 yards. And then the plays that he did complete super long were out of structure. He had that one long play to the left, uh, and then he had the play over to the right that was super long as well. And that was the play that was, of course, out of structure where he was rolling out. So I think efficient may not be the right word. I would have probably put Trubisky in more of like the, um, uh, not efficient, opportunistic is I think where I would put it. He was taking the opportunity out of structure where possible, uh, and he was then taking the opportunity super short. Um, but I wouldn't know that I would call it necessarily efficient. Um, and I think this just kind of goes to like, I, I don't know that Trubisky is a good quarterback. He might develop into a good one, but I just don't think he is one right now. Okay. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a hot topic uh, of conversation, this whole Trubisky, whether or not he's a good quarterback thing. Uh, you know, we, I think we talked about it last week for a little bit, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting because I, I think I went on the, uh, 
um, the Bears Barroom podcast, and they were giving me shit over the course of the weekend as well because there was a uh, you know they were like you know oh I guess the Trubisky's not good, but he you know they they gave me the uh, they sent me the tweet from uh, uh, oh Baldy Baldy's breakdowns where he was talking about how Trubisky had had a decent game, and so it, it's been an interesting back and forth I think. <laughs> Yeah, those guys are something. Yeah, yeah, they sure are. Uh, the whole Trevathan thing. Actually, I wanted to get your opinion on this because I tweeted out that Trevathan uh, was a dirty player for bending uh, Matt Breida back after the whistle. And I'd probably revise my statement now, not in the heat of the game. I probably wouldn't call him necessarily a dirty player, but that was definitely uh, probably an unsavory play, a dirty play when put in the context of his hit against Devontae Adams uh, last year, of course. I don't think that guy gets the benefit of the doubt. Uh, what do you think about that play? Do you think that was, you know, kind of a little extra, or do you think, you know, yeah, you know, it's it, it's within the play of the game. It was close enough to the whistle, and that was that. Um, I would have to go back and see the play again for context. Like, what was the down and distance? Like, maybe he was close to a first down, and Trevathan was trying to keep him away. I I wouldn't necessarily call it dirty. He got a bad reputation for that Devonte Adams hit. Also, not a dirty hit, and. You know, I, I just don't uh, I don't think it would have been uh, necessarily or uh, intentionally uh, to, to, to hurt Breda or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where the, the whistle I went actually went back and listened to the whistle and it was the whistles very, very clearly happened. Uh, and hmm. and he then immediately bends him back. Uh, and he does try to do the whole like after he bends him back and pushes him, tries to do the whole hands up thing like, oh, it's it, it's not that big of a deal or it wasn't me. And that's like the, the telltale sign that someone's done something they know may be wrong is when you put your hands up, right? Like that's when a defender puts his hands up, it's like, ah, you, you probably just did something wrong. Uh, or maybe he uh, maybe he let go because Breda made a noise. Yeah, that's that's accurate as well. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because that was also a little bit of back and forth as well. But overall, I think, you know, did you leave the game? You worried about the Bears or did you leave the game thinking, OK, the Niners maybe, you know, aren't as bad as, as their record uh, kind of entails? Well, I had a feeling that the game was going to be tough um, because the Niners are, are playing motivated right now, whether it just be that they want to finish the year out strong or they want to play spoiler to to these teams that they've been up against. Because schedule wise, playing the playing the Broncos, who were a playoff team at the time, playing the Seahawks last week and then playing the Bears again, it wasn't favorable on paper that the you know, the 49ers would win these games and you know, also the Bears are, are have, uh, you know, not a very good road team uh, this year, plain and simple. I mean, this was only we were, we're a four and three road team after our victory uh, on Sunday. So it wasn't all that surprising that we would have difficulty with the 49ers, A, with the way that we've the, the they've been playing and B, the way we've played on the road. I mean, th- three of our four losses have come uh, on the road this year at Green Bay, at Miami and at um, the Giants. You know, and arguably uh, all three of those teams would be, quote unquote, inferior to the team that the Bears have. And yet they we had all the trouble in the world uh, in those games and and lost three of them. So uh, it's uh, it's been interesting to watch the Bears. It wasn't that surprising that we that we struggled on the road because that's what we have done. Um, And uh, I mean, it was I think it was surprising that uh, how ineffective the offense was only putting 14 points on the board. Well, I don't know that the Niners and the Bears are going to play next year because this is what this is five years straight. The Niners have played, uh, whether it be in Chicago or San Francisco. Uh, Correct. We will uh, we will not play because we finished in we're going to finish in first place this year. So our first place will have first place, uh, same place opponents. Yeah. And the Niners, year. I think, so are going to finish. The, uh, they're going to finish either third or fourth. And I think they're going to finish. Uh, they may finish third in the division. Uh, and even if they finish fourth, of course, we won't play each other. Uh, and so it'll be uh, the first year in five. That the that's right that the Bears and the Niners haven't played, but hey, best of luck to y'all in the playoffs, uh, and, and hopefully everything goes well for you and and your show uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks because you've got more shows that matter. Whereas we're moving I do. into full off season mode, man. Yeah, in in the long history of the show, I've been doing it since two thousand and seven. This is only my second season of postseason games, so I am looking forward to it. Wow, dude, enjoy it, man. Because I can tell you, we I started this show in. 2011 uh, it was like oh pre, wow. it was pre-harbaugh and, yeah. and so he got hired and we did that whole thing and, and all of a sudden like we had three years of awesomeness uh and then of course a, a bunch of bullshit but uh but man enjoy it <laughs> while you can it's a lot of fun uh and, and regardless of what happens playoff football is uh, is fun football so best luck to you my friend it's always a pleasure having you on uh and and best of luck i appreciate it man thank you all right awesome that's larry dyer of bears talk underground you can find him at armchairallamericans.com
And now comes the rundown. It is the midweek stories or items of note that I think are important, and hopefully you do too. If not, well, fast forward to some time that is indeterminate in the future because I'm not going to give you the uh, little time codes. Uh, so first up is draft position jockeying. The Niners now hold the second overall pick, and it's likely where they will land. But what's your rooting guide this weekend? Well, it's the Cardinals over the Seahawks and the Jets over the Patriots. The Jets can still get the number one overall pick with their 4-11 record. And, of course, if the Cardinals win and the Niners lose and, well, the Jets win, or sorry, the Jets lose, then everyone's at 4-11, and and now the tiebreaker becomes strength of schedule. The Niners only have a half-game lead in strength of schedule versus the Jets. And, of course, the Cardinals and the Jets, the two teams that you as a Niners fan are rooting for, are the two biggest underdogs of the week. So if everything goes according to plan, Jets lose, Cardinals lose, Niners lose, the Niners likely end up with second overall pick based on strength of schedule. Next up, DVOA update. It's back. Near the end of the year, the Niners are 28th overall in uh, in DVOA. That's defense adjusted value over average. Uh, that's the football outsiders efficiency metric. They are 27th, though, in weighted DVOA, of course, based on their two recent wins against Denver, which is I think is a top 10 DVOA team, uh, and their win against Seattle. 27th on offense actually 23rd on defense. So their defense per play is actually a bit more efficient than their offense, which is a little different than conventional wisdom. But uh, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're give if if you given what the defense does play for play. The problem is once you get in the red zone, well, the, the defense doesn't do all that well. Uh, third story in the rundown, Solomon Thomas along the interior this week against the Chicago Bears. Solomon Thomas played over half of his snaps along the interior at the three technique. 50-50 split was more in line with what I thought the split would be over the course of the year, and that seems to be what's happening after the bye. Of course, Kyle Shanahan has come out and openly said that he wants to see Solomon Thomas play along the inside near the end of the year, or at the end of the year, and we are in full eval mode, and that's exactly what's happening. Against the Bears, Solomon Thomas's overall pro football focus grade was 72.6. His pass, his pass rushing grade was 67.1. That grade is in the average range. Remember, anything above 70 is above average. Anything above 80 is high quality. But that 67.1 pass rush grade would be his second highest pass rush grade of the year after his week two game against Detroit. He had two hurries against Chicago. Both of those came from the interior. Hopefully, these last five, six games are proving to the 49ers that they need to play him along the interior in a more 50-50 split kind of role because he is indeed performing when he's given opportunities there. Last up is Antoine Exum. He is, of course, the starting free safety due to injury, uh, but he was fined $53,472 for a hit in week 14. Problem is, he makes $41,470 a week in gross income. So basically, his entire game check and another like $12,000 is out the window because of one hit. Uh, and that's that's bullshit, frankly. Uh, I think that the fines in the NFL should probably be proportionate to your income so that you don't have an undrafted free agent or a one or second or a first or second year player that are making close to the league minimum uh, ends up getting fined their entire game check or more because of a hit that is, well, I don't know, difficult to legislate out of the game and made more impossible to legislate out when wide receivers and offensive players are lowering their head to initiate contact just as well. So I think they should follow the Scandinavian route. Just make it a percentage of your salary, and that way, if you're going to find someone like Khalil Mack, who's making you know twenty million plus a year, you're going to get a huge fine, and it's actually going to hit his pocketbook because he doesn't care about fifty thousand dollars. That's chump change to him. Uh, whereas Antoine Exum, on the other hand, literally has no money for that week uh, and then some. So let's go with a different model for finding players because the, the rules are well stupid, uh, and this is another one of those stupid rules. So now we get to a a return of something great. As one once said, something that was great back in the day. Uh, it was one Mr. Richard Reininger. He makes of course, the podcast great again. He was don't do that. <laughs> he was one of the that's uh, what I'm here to do. Original founding members of the Better Rivals podcast. One of the two. He was he actually predates David, uh, and he of course went on to bigger and better things. He is now making videos and movies out in the Bay Area. Different things. Uh, I don't know if they're bigger or better. Uh, they are indeed, I would say, bigger Your and better. listener, you have probably a better, higher listener count than people that watch my stuff. Uh, I, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll compare numbers. Uh, <laughs> we'll compare sizes later. Yeah, that's sizes exactly right. Sizes of your account. I have, the, I have a Niners measuring tape in the living room. We'll, we'll get at it later. I don't believe that. But, <laughs> but he's back. We used to have something on the show called a lightning round. And Richard is visiting for the holidays uh, and he's hanging out. And so I thought, you know what? 
let's have a return to the lightning round. Uh, and even though David's not here, we can still have a couple of key questions that you're going to loft my way, and we'll get through them quickly, uh, and then we'll move on to the preview against the, or the, the Rams preview. So uh, hit me with the lightning round, Richard. All right. I just want to, I'm going to ask him as fast as I can. Um, I see will if I still got it. Okay. Slowly. Okay. Here we go. Take a sip of your beer. Open your beer. There we go. I love that sound. Okay. Teams you're most afraid of in the NFC and AFC in the playoffs right now. Uh, teams I'm most afraid of. Who would of. you be afraid of? Yeah. If you're uh, well, I think the Chiefs are scary. And I think the Saints are scary. I disagree uh, with both of those. But uh, we'll and, move and on. That's about it. I, I think, Who are you rooting for in the in the playoffs? This I understand year? the the root of the no, question. No, 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 no. We're that, going. We're moving beyond. That we're was moving, a big dick Nick we're, question. We're, we're not, moving beyond. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bite <laughs> that apple. I'm not gonna go into the Eagles thing. Uh, but yeah, I think the, what Eagles thing? Uh, well, the whole Nick Foles playing like out of his mind uh, at this point of the year because. Well, let me go. Let's go on. Who are you rooting for right uh, now? I think it would be awesome if Andy Reid and the Chiefs got his ring. Like, I want him to win a Super Bowl because he came so close to the Eagles, and he is, I think, an underrated coach. And, and I think he, what he's done with the Chiefs it has been a renaissance of his career. And, and I do look to kind of people who don't yet have rings, who uh, I think have, or, or who are deserved of rings. You're looking for, like, some sort of equilibrium. Yeah. He, de- he deserves a thing. He deserves a thing, just so like I think Dan Marino got a ring. Right? So he should have got Drew a ring. Drew should win MVP over Pat Mahomes. Oh, uh, I think if you're looking for deservedness, yes. I think if you're looking at actually what's happening, no. Well, contradict yourself all you want. Who's your Super Bowl pick right now? Um, in what terms happens? of winner or in the game? Who, who over who? Uh, so I put $20 on the Saints in the preseason to win the Super Bowl. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, at the same time that I also put $25 on the Niners because, hey, why They are not? definitely not winning the Super Bowl. I <laughs> hate to break it to you, my friend. The Niners not winning the Super Bowl. Uh, so I think the Saints make the Super Bowl. Uh, I also think that in the AFC, the Chiefs make the Super Bowl. Oh, man. I know. It's tough, but I got to go with my heart, even though their defense is probably not going to let them get there. Uh, I think that ultimately in, in the AFC, it ends up being the Chargers and the Chiefs in the championship game. Uh, and and I think that I've, I've got to go with with my heart, and I got to pick the Chiefs, even though the Char- I think Philip Rivers also another equilibrium pick in terms of getting a ring because he is better objectively than Eli Manning. And Eli Manning is going to go into the Hall of Fame on the strength of his two bullshit rings. Uh, and those were not bullshit. I, I like that he beat... Oh, if only love, because he beat the Patriots exactly. in those two years. If only... They're not bullshit. If only because it was the Patriots. Correct. Also, I'm saying Chargers over Eagles or the Seahawks. If the Eagles gets in, Eagles go to the Super Bowl. Nick Foles is playing out of his fucking mind. Can I he say He is fucking? playing out of his You can say whatever you want. Okay. Um, also, the Seahawks, just because they're playing hot right now, they just beat the, the Chiefs. So. And they also just got beat by the Niners. Who? The Seahawks. Yeah, I don't pay that much attention to that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's a rivalry game. Who cares? It was uh, Pete Carroll stomping Richard oh, Sermon. Man. Also, I want to say this. I want to say this. That's what I've missed, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Just completely emotional, disregarding any logic. Um, I want to say this. You were talking this guy up uh, a year ago. You were a fan. I was super skeptical. We watched him on New Year's. And I said in the game, he can't throw against man coverage. Because he couldn't against Alabama. And then all of a sudden, now I'm a believer because he's won me money in DraftKings. Uh, and the Browns are at 500 going into week 17. How far can uh, Baker Mayfield take the Browns? Uh, next year. Next year. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while now know that I absolutely love Baker Mayfield. Yes. Uh, he, I think he's a fantastic quarterback and I absolutely love his competitiveness. Did you see the video of him staring down uh, Hugh Jackson? On no. the sideline, because Hugh Jackson, of course, is a is a, now a coach for the Bengals, and the Browns play the Bengals, and Baker Mayfield is jogging on the sideline, and he just let me remind you, down. this is the lightning round, and you've not answered my question: <laughs> How far can Baker Mayfield take the Browns next year? And I then follow up question: Two years, and then follow up question: Five years. I think that Baker Mayfield can take the Browns to a wild card round next year. Two years. Uh, two years, I think they're going to be equally as good. I think also wild card two years. What's five years? I think the key is going to be whether or not they get rid of Greg Williams. I think that's going to be what holds them back. And I think Freddie Kitchens is as long as they can keep him, they're probably in a good place because at least in a short sample, he's proven to be pretty amazing. So I think his that, nickname should be Kitchen Sink. <laughs> how long have you been thinking about that? Oh, oh like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I've never heard that name it, before in my life. It's. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> 
It shows. It shows. Okay. Two whole seconds. Kitchen sink. Yep. Okay, so five years. Can Baker take them to a Super Bowl? Will the Browns uh, win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? Will the Browns win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play percentages and say no. Well, that's even a boring though, answer. Even okay, moving on. How, how do you feel about um, Dak Prescott and my Cowboys? Uh, I think that they are, well, not all that great. Is he going to be just medium? Uh, I think he's medium. I think he is exactly that. Okay. I'll put it to you this way. I think he's a better quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky. Is he better is than Tony Romo? Much. No. Well, God, man. Dang it. Okay. Um, this past year, we've seen a whole bunch of drudging up of uh, bullshit over social media. It's got a lot of people in trouble. I'm not going to go over details, but I'm going to ask you this for future you so we can come back to it. What's the next year the 49ers win the Super Bowl? Ooh, um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it is uh, not next year. I think next year they compete for a wild card. Uh, and so I think if they're going to win the Super Bowl, it's going to be the year after that. 2022? Uh, 2022 is three years from now? Yeah, yeah ish. Uh, yeah, I would say probably 2021. 2021. You heard it here first. That's a prediction. The 49ers win the Super Bowl in 20, what? 2021. 2021. If the world doesn't end by then. <laughs> Which it might. Which it might. <laughs> we don't know. Actually, I've been reading a lot about theoretical physics. All right. So that's and the literally end of the anything is round. literally anything is possible. It's crazy. Or All right, so that wraps up the lightning round. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and the illustrious return. Hey, of... it's great to see y'all again. I hope. You... Does anybody remember me? Oh yeah, dude. I get tweets about you. Uh, Why don't on you the text reg? me screenshots about this? You're, You're not on Twitter anymore because. Oh you... no, that Twitter account still exists. I just never check it. Yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, people tweet at you. Uh, they tweet at me. They say, "Hey, is Richard coming back?" Oh no, I'm no. here. I'm here. I'm alive. He's living his best life in Oakland. So as yeah, usual, I don't know if I, it was a better life. Uh, yeah, sure. He's living his best life in Oakland. He's got flat brim hats. Can I just, I don't wear them that often because I feel weird wearing them. But I, I will say this. It's funny. I, I texted you. I worked on a piece that played on the, the Santa Clara oh, yeah. Jumbotron. I did. I mentioned that. I um, I'll send that to you, uh, once I know that it's online because I'd right. like people to see it that weren't at the game. I'll tweet it out as well. Uh, Richard, thanks for coming on again hey. and doing your normal, uh, random Did I do Okay. Thing. Yeah, it's been a long time for you. Don't me. need my affirmation. You well, can. I do need your affirmation. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I made a bet to myself that I could win your affirmation. Did I? Did I do okay? You did. Okay, it, it perfect. Is the affirmative. Do we need to cl- uh, close? Am I being cut off? Yes, you are. I'm perfect. Gonna you in a minute. Uh, we're going to go finish these Lone Stars, uh, and then we're going to play some Mario Kart. That sounds great to me. Cheers. Cheers. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Happy New Year to everybody. You closet Raider fan. I mean, not anymore. They're moving out of Oakland. Fair. Uh, but cheers, dude. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year. Let's go get drunk. And now to preview the Rams game, the final game of the year, week 17. It's friend of the pod, someone who's been with us from really the early days, Joe. Uh, it's Joe McAtee of Tur Show Times. Uh, welcome back to the show. Long, long ago before the internet. When there was but Niners Nations on the plains and Tertio Times in the mountains, there was Oscar and Joe. What's up, man? What's going on, dude? It's been a while. I it's know been, it has yeah. been a while. The last time we... I, I guess here's, the, here's how you know we've been doing... I was going to say, here's how you know we've been doing this too long, is that the Niners used to be good and the Rams were horrible. I was going to say then the you same guys thing. Were bad like, the first we were time mediocre. that you were on the show, the Rams <laughs> were dog shit and we were amazing. And now the tables have turned. We're going to be here in the post-apocalypse talking about, remember when we used to talk by Skype and not by string can? Oh, I remember those days. All right, so I've got three questions for you, three key questions that I think are, well, are going to be... Which, by the way, Oscar, before we get to your three questions, 100% chance in the post-apocalypse when we have no water and we're talking by string can, the NFL will still be playing games on Sunday. 100% chance. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a scene out of idiocracy where, like, the president's going to have a gun and, it, you know, it's going to be... He's going to be just, like, shooting in the middle of the, the halftime show. He's going to be like, oh, football. There, there will be no food, no electricity... But every NFL game will kick off on time. Oh, absolutely. Because you know what? There are rules in society. God damn it. Uh, but all right. So we've got three questions for you. Uh, and first off, I'd like to just ask, have the Rams righted the ship? Because it seemed for a couple of weeks that the Rams were not doing that hot. The, the, basically, defenses just didn't give a shit about the Rams' run game. Chicago and Philly dropped into coverage, took away the deep pass. Jared Goff, Jared Goff was playing just really, really bad football. Came into last week having lost two straight. 
He held to just six points against uh, against the the Bears, thirty to twenty three against the Fighting Nick Foles. He had one touchdown and six ints uh, in the three games after the bye, zero TDs in two straight games. Uh, I mean, have the Rams figured out what the hell's going on, uh, or do you think there's still a bit of a rocky footing there? I, th- I think there's a bit of a rocky foot. I don't know that you can reclaim your footing against the 2018 Arizona Cardinals, right? So I, I-, I think there's a bit of an, uh, a rocky footing. I think that the thing is that that the slip up for the Rams came at the worst time. came came at the build up to the pre postseason against the Chicago Bears, a playoff opponent in a playoff game on national television, without a real chance to kind of to, to kind of reverse that. Uh, before getting to the playoffs, if, if, if you go back to the Kansas City Chiefs game on Monday night, the one where you know everybody yeah, saw the, the best new game of the year, the game of the year trademark. I respect our trademark, Oscar. I expect your check in the mail for that game of the year trademark. That that was the kind of game that set forth the new NFL. If the Rams had lost that, but won against Chicago and Philadelphia, there wouldn't have been really a footing to regain. And so uh, part of it was just the timing. They won all these games. They started off eleven and one, and then had the first two game losing streak under Sean McVay, and that just kind of changed the 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 pathway into the playoffs. I don't know that there was footing to regain because if you look at the season overall, if you give us a two and a twelve and three Rams team going into Week Seventeen, I don't know that that's not you know uh, outside of what we would have predicted, outside of what we would have gotten ready for, and outside of what we would have wanted as Rams fans. I just think kind of the timing and the syncing up of where they were going into the playoffs maybe got thrown askew, and I guess it, it kind of matters what you think matters more. Playing your best football going into the playoffs or not caring when you play your best football in the regular season and just getting it done in the postseason. Well, I think one of the reasons that the Rams have had some struggles is because the offensive line has been giving up pressures at an increased sure. rate. If you look yeah. at their first 10 weeks, they allowed 78 pressures, six fewest in the league. The last four weeks going into the Week 16 game, uh, they gave up 51 pressures, fourth most, and their pass-blocking efficiency was third worst in the league. And so when, the, of course, the offensive line starts to break down, Jared Goff starts having to make decisions under pressure, and, and of course, we, we just rattled off Jared Goff's stats. It wasn't great. And so, of course, now you get to Arizona, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? Maybe let's take the game out of Jared Goff's hands. C.J. Anderson, generational running back talent, ran for 167 yards and a touchdown, did something that no other running back in the NFL could do, uh, except for maybe Todd Gurley, because, you know, running backs are uncommon in terms of their skill set. And so you've got 26 of the Rams' 41 rushing plays that were out of 21 personnel, which is a new wrinkle. Sean McVay is saying, fine, you don't want to respect our run game, we're going to run it down your throat. And he's putting film out such that the, the team now or that teams that are watching now have to maybe respect the Rams run game and let some of those big passes get opened up some more. You know, and so I think that's that's kind of the play. And, and against Arizona, they're trying to write that ship and they're trying to get better because this the 21 personnel is a new wrinkle for Sean McVay, something that the, the team hasn't done ahead of that week 16 tilt. And, and, and I like the idea of a new wrinkle, just not not only switching personnel and switching formations, but switching complete running back depth charts where three weeks ago, our starting running back was Todd Gurley. The, back, the backup was Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown gets injured. Todd Gurley picks up this neat week. Screw it. We're going with CJ Anderson. So I like the idea that in the playoffs, uh, we got a new running back, uh, Malcolm Crown. And flawed Burley. We're just gonna sign. We're gonna sign new running backs every week and just throw them in there and and, and change well, around th- the personnel. I think it just goes to show that like running back in today's NFL is a skill that is uh, easy to find on the street. I mean, the Niners had their sure. The, the Niners had Raheem Mostert. They signed him off the street. He ends up being a contributor before he breaks his arm. You know, and Matt Breida, I love him to death, but he's an undrafted free agent. You you of course have Todd Gurley, who was in the MVP mix. And then C.J. Anderson is signed, and five days later, he's equally in that mix. It's like, is he an MVP candidate? It's like, no, it's just the skill is relatively easy to find. And, and I, I think the fact that the Rams put some 21 tape uh, out in the NFL is good because I think it shows – I mean, they ran – but up until that Week 16 game, they had six plays that were not in 11 personnel. All season. Yeah, yeah. all season. Six plays. Yeah. And, and now they're running over 50% of their plays – out of 21 personnel. So they're, they're just putting some film out there. And, and, I'm, because, and to me, what that says to McVeigh is like, all right, or not, that, not, not what that says to McVeigh, but what McVeigh, I think, is trying to say is, all right, we're going to establish the run. 
but we're also going to take the game out of Goff's hands. And and that's a curious place to be when you've got a first overall pick quarterback with sure. a team that is doing very, very well and going into the playoffs. And so my question to you is, are the Rams going to take the game out of Goff's hands again and try to get him on track and build his confidence? Or are they going to kind of go back to their 11 personnel ways and start slanging the ball down the field? I think we'll have to see. I, I think it would be easy to say yes, that, or, or, or at least to advocate that they should, given the result that they got out of Week 16 and given the the quality out of the offensive line as badly as they performed the three weeks prior coming out of the bye against uh, Detroit and then Chicago and uh, Philadelphia. But I, I think the thing that you got to look at is the Rams have all this talent that they can spread around, and they got McVay's offensive mind, and obviously you guys have an offensive mind in Shanahan. You guys can see how this works when you plug in new guys at quarterback, when you plug in new guys at running back, and the idea that it's a team game, and you can't necessarily give all the credit to the outputs. As, as great as the outputs were from C.J. Anderson, this is a guy that wasn't on the team two weeks ago. And, and you know, Todd Gurley two years ago, the outputs were half what they were now when he was playing in Jeff Fisher's system. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, you, you'd like to at least get Jared Goff ready for the playoffs. That's all that matters. Remember a year ago when we played this game, we sat our starters. All that mattered was the playoffs, the playoffs, the playoffs. All that matters is the playoffs, the playoffs, the playoffs. So to, to the degree that we can slow play Jared Goff's involvement, you know, whatever gets him comfortable for that matchup, whomever it may be, that's what I'm down for. Whether it takes the ball out of his hands, whether we go back to the 12 personnel, whether it's, uh, you know, getting away from CJ Anderson and going to John Kelly, the rookie running back, or even playing Todd Gurley for the first half, who might be able to go, Whatever it takes, man. Well, my question to you then is, and this is the second question I have, is are the Rams actually going to rest any of their their players? Because you're right. They, they are playing for a first-round bye. This game actually matters compared to last yeah. season. Like you said, last season, everything was locked up, and, and it didn't matter. So they played their start. They, they rested their starters, and the Niners snuck a win in there at the end. But this year, the, the, the Rams are indeed playing for that first-round bye, but Todd Gurley didn't practice on a Wednesday. And C.J. Anderson, of course, proved that he can lighten the load off of Gurley. They don't need to rush him back. But LaMarcus Joyner is day-to-day with an ankle injury as well. Right. Do you think that McVeigh is leaning towards resting the starters and, and kind of to your point, just getting to the playoffs with your healthiest team and then going balls to the wall there? Or do you think he's really going to try and angle for that first-round bye? Now, from what I've heard, they're going to they're gonna approach the kickoff as if it was a playoff game. They're going to they're going to approach the beginning of this game as if as if as if they've got to go balls to the wall. And and for understandable reason, they went into the last year uh, knowing they didn't have a first round bye and slow played it and went into the wild card at home against Atlanta and got handled pretty easily. And so, you know, if you can avoid the wild card round, you'd probably like to. Uh, in general, let alone what happened to this team a year ago. So uh, I can understand why there's been a bit of a change of heart, but the circumstances have changed as well. And so uh, from what I understand, they're going to push things through. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, like you mentioned, is day-to-day. I expect him to go. I expect Gurley to go early on. What will be interesting is what what is the calculus for when they start to put their the foot off the gas. Is it going to be a double digit point lead? Is it going to be a two touchdown lead? And and what might change that might get those guys back in the game? Like, for example, let's say we have a great first quarter from Ransan's perspective and we go out 14 to nothing. And then you guys score 10 points in the second quarter. Does, does Todd Gurley and LaMarcus Joyner and any of these guys nursing any other injuries come back in to try to change that? How does that work with the running back position where C.J. Anderson you know, took on the workload last week and they're trying to figure out this running back depth chart? I don't know, but I, I think uh, what we'll see when we get to kickoff is kind of the playoff ready Rams and we'll have to see how the game goes from there. You know, I think if I were Sean McVay, I'd probably play an increased rotation with these players. And and probably not LaMarcus Joyner, but especially with Todd Gurley, I think he might start. But rather than playing, you know, 90% of the snaps, which is what he normally plays, he he's probably going to seed maybe a 50-50 split with C.J. Anderson, I think is probably what would what would be the case. And, and I think the Niners are going to come out. And if I were Robert Sala, honestly... I would play more increased two deep looks and I would say, you know what? I don't care about your 21 personnel. I I don't care about this new wrinkle. I'm going to dare you to throw because if you can beat me in the air, that's how you're going to beat me. You're not going to beat me on the ground. And, and if you do want to run the ball, let's shorten this game 
Because if you shorten the game, then all of a sudden every individual play matters more and more. And those are the kind of high variance plays that are that are really a, a gift to an underdog. Because if an underdog can shorten the game and steal one or two plays or steal a score, now all yep. of a sudden that score matters more because you don't have as many play opportunities within you know the flow of a game. And so that's where I think the Niners are probably going to benefit from having a shorter game. But I think where the Niners really get blown up on offense in general, and it happened uh, in the Week 7 game against the, the Rams, is going to be what happens with Aaron Donald. And this is my last question to you is, what the hell do you do against Aaron Donald? Because the last time the Niners and the Rams played, he had four sacks. Beathard was under pressure on 49% of his snaps. Basically, one every two times he dropped down, he dropped to, to, to throw a ball, he had someone in his face. The interior of the offensive line for the 49ers had one of the worst games of the year. They, uh, especially Richburg uh, and Person and Lakin Tomlinson, they allowed half of the total pressures on the game. Weston Richburg allowed two sacks, which is half of his total for the year. Um, you know, and so I think overall, what the hell do you do against Aaron Donald? Uh, and, and does Aaron Donald get the record against the against the Niners? I think it's possible. I mean, the biggest thing that you've seen, especially with Chicago, who had a, who had a lot of success against the Rams offense, but Donald specifically, you you can't just go single high against him. You have to at least double team him, and even in some circumstances, have some situations where you're willing to triple team him. He's the, we all know he's that good. He just had three sacks last week against Arizona, and again, I get it, that's Arizona, but still, you're talking about NFL offensive linemen, and you, you can't get him in one on one situations unless. You frustrate him enough with double teams earlier in the game and kind of stymie his, you know, the, the kind of groove that he gets in. The way we talk about running backs getting in a groove with carries. If you let Aaron Donald get into a groove getting into the backfield, it's just too easy for him. So you got to find a way to double team him with some success early on, and that's hard enough as it is. And, and what's been maybe disappointing for the Rams is that. You, you've got to be able to deal with Indomik and Sue and Michael Brockers as your defensive lineman and then the edge pressure, mostly one-on-one -on -one because you're committing resources to Aaron Donald. But what's been disappointing is that the Rams haven't succeeded there. When, when teams have, have done a good job double-teaming Aaron Donald, the Rams haven't really done a great job getting pressure elsewhere, whether it was Samson Abukum and Matt Longacre early on in the season and, uh, you know, Dante Fowler, when he came in via trade from the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's been better than Longacre, who's been a healthy scratch recently. None of them really have succeeded, and maybe most surprisingly, that includes Ndamukong Sue, because you know we thought he was going to be a guy that could change things, and with Aaron Donald soaking up all that attention, could win those matchups one-on-one. -on -one. He, re he really hasn't lived up to that billing, the kind of billing he had coming out of college, obviously, but even in his early years with uh, uh, Detroit, just hasn't been the kind of player that uh, Ransans were hoping, and so the the biggest thing you can do with Aaron Donald is focus all your attention on him because the Rams don't have enough weapons to to really punish you consistently. Otherwise, yeah. So I think Aaron Donald's worst games uh, were against Seattle uh, and against Chicago. Other than yeah. that, if you look at his Pro Football Focus grades, he's averaged. I mean, he's in the elite or like high value area for every single game. It's ridiculous looking at his chart. But when you look at what Chicago did, I think a lot of the quick game horizontal passing is where they probably you know, they neutralized a bit of, of what Aaron Donald had to do. And when you look at Seattle, they ran. They ran the ball a ton. Uh, and that's where I think probably his worst tackling game of the year uh, happened, uh, either that or against Chicago. So uh, I think you're probably not wrong. I think there's going to have to be an answer for him, and, and it's not going to be getting down on the scoreboard quickly. Uh, because if they can keep a kind of a neutral situation, uh, I think that's where you can begin to neutralize them when you've got every option on the table. And even then, if you look at the Chicago game, as much they neutralized Aaron Donald completely, and they did a good job double teaming him, even triple teaming. They had a couple triple teams that they isolated on the film live, and then we pointed out after the game, but. That, that game was a game where the Rams' defense played spectacular, especially in the secondary. The secondary had a fantastic game. They only scored 13 points on offense. Trubisky had a horrible game as a quarterback. They scored 15 total because they had a safety on the Rams' offense. But, you know, it's one of those things. It, it, it's not as much of a pick-your-poison as a lot of people like to make it out to be, and, and that game would suggest. Because uh, overall, over the course of the season, the Rams linebackers certainly, but the secondary just hasn't been as good as you would hope to be able to back up a guy like Aaron Donald. Because uh, for as much talk as the as guys like Indomik and Sue and Lamarcus Joyner, Marcus Peters, Akeem Talib, John Johnson, as much uh, hype as those guys invite 
week to week. Uh, a lot of the performances that they've had haven't lived up to that hype, whereas with Aaron Donald, uh, sometimes the hype, as big as it is, isn't even big enough. He's that good and maybe better. I think if the Niners have a chance to win this game, it's going to be because Robert Sala ends up employing a similar kind of game plan that he did against the Bears, incidentally, which is going to be relying on too high because the Niners had over 50% of their plays against the Bears in too high looks. And that's a departure from what they normally do. But I think if they go too high and try to negate the deep ball and basically dare the Rams to run, that's where they can find some success. And if they can, I think to your point, you know, handle Aaron Donald in some way, whether that is double or triple team him. And, and find ways to to get a body on him in a way that's effective. I mean, I'm looking at, like, I think the Niners are probably going to, if I were Shanahan, I might try to unleash a wham play or two against Aaron Donald and kind of punish him for his aggressiveness. But I think overall it's going to be a tough go. And, and I think the, the line right now is the Rams by 10. So I've got two final closing questions for you. I know I said I had three questions, but I guess this makes it five, right? One is, does... Uh, Aaron Donald get the record for 22 sacks against the Niners. And two, uh, what's your final prediction for the game? So, yes, the best Christmas movie of all time is... Wait, what? It's oh, Die Aaron Hard. Donald. It's Die Hard. Oh, easily. Die Hard. Very good. My wife just watched uh, that for the first time last night. How is that possible? Uh, you know, I ask myself this question all of the time. This is a woman who did not know anything about football four years ago. Uh, and that's possible. And yes, correct. And then in the last what five years ago, I think. And in the last five years, she's won my college buddies league twice. <laughs> she's going to win it again this year that we've switched over to a DraftKings league. She's won my family league twice and she beat me this year in the family league, uh, to in the semifinals to get to the finals uh, and end up winning. And yet She's never seen Die Hard until... I was going to say, all of that is completely believable until you get to the Die Hard yeah. point. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, is Aaron Donald get? I'm going to go with it because on the whole, he's that kind of a guy and, and there's no reason that he won't get enough playing time, especially early on. Uh, I, I think you guys can frustrate the Rams uh, enough through two, three quarters where... Yeah, no matter what, unless unless things get really wacky, I think it's going to be close enough for a couple quarters where McVay's going to have to play the starters, where Aaron Donald's going to get enough snaps, and that gives him enough opportunity to uh, get the record. But um, I, I think the bigger issue with with Aaron Donald, and, and really when you talk about the offense, and this is something I know from the outside isn't a big deal. Within Rams, you know, the bubble is a big deal. Is how they've played since the bye, which is interesting because right before the bye with the Chiefs game, you had the injury to wide receiver Cooper Cup. And, and you talk about playing too high. Yeah, that's that's so, a big deal. The, the Rams have Todd Gurley coming out of the backfield, and then they have all these deep to intermediate receivers. So Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, all, all guys that have done well with that, by the way. And, and now Josh Reynolds, guys that you can push the ball downfield with and guys that, that, that Sean McVay loves to use downfield. But they don't really have anybody that's third and two, third and three, a guy that you feel comfortable with and a guy that, more importantly, Jared Goff feels comfortable with. And Cooper Cup was that guy. They just haven't gotten that figured out. And so I think to the idea that they can stymie that, you guys can get off the field more often maybe than not, or may, maybe more often than most people would assume it gets the Rams offense with the, the season-long statistics that we have. And that's going to give Aaron Donald the opportunities to get that record. Um, what was the second question? I already forgot because we went to Die Hard. The second question was, what was What's the prediction? final prediction for the game? Because the line is right now Rams one. by 10. So do you think <sighs> that the Niners cover? Do you think that they, you know, what's going on here? I think it depends what happens early. And it, it, what's weird is the Rams rolled out this new game plan last week. Understandably, no Todd Gurley, C.J. Anders. The, you, the Rams came into the season with four running backs, and they started week 16, two weeks to go to the playoffs, and it brought a new running back off the street to run their offense and kind of centered their play, their entire game plan around him. It was really unusual, but that's the kind of thing you always give McVay credit for because he does these things, and they work, and you say, oh, what a genius. And so... Uh, I I don't know. It, it, it depends on if he's got another wrinkle that uh, the Rams want to throw out there, knowing that the playoffs start in, in a week. And that's all that matters. This entire season has been a buildup to the playoffs for the Rams. Going back to March when we added Indomitian Sue, and obviously Sue came later, but Akeem Tlaib, Marcus Peters, and Brandon Cooks. 
Everybody talked about the Rams as being the Super Bowl or bust kind of team, the team that was already focused on the playoffs. And to to a degree, that was true. The entire season is validated by what the Rams do after this week. And so really, if they hadn't been playing for the first round bye, everybody would have said sit the starters again. All that matters is the playoffs. Let's get ready for the playoffs. And so to to – to the end that the, that this game matters, what we're really talking about is just getting ready to play us, whether that means winning the game and getting the bye, whether that means getting guys like Jared Goff in the rhythm of playing for the playoffs like we talked about earlier and, and maybe to the degree of uh, who needs to be able to, to be involved in the game plan, whether it's C.J. Anderson, Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, and Tyler Higby, the tight ends, those kind of guys. I'll say this for the prediction. I'll go with the Rams. I'll go with it comfortable. But I think there's an opportunity for you guys to really frustrate us early in a way that you guys haven't since Thursday Night Football early last season. The Brian Hoyer experience. The, the Brian Hoyer, the phantom offensive pass interference. If it, I, I still go, I talk about this call all the time. If that pass interference, that offensive pass interference last year hadn't been called, I really think you guys could have won that game. And that it's almost like a George Bailey experience for Sean McVay where he could have. Oh, Clarence, oh, oh, the Rams of Christmas future kind of thing from a wonderful Rams life could have been completely different because who knows where it goes from there. But it's one of those things going into this week. I think the Rams win. I think they win comfortable. They got enough, even without Todd whether they play him or not, they've got enough to get through this game relatively comfortably. But I, th- I think there's an opportunity for you guys to frustrate in the first half. I think in the second half, the Rams are going to settle in and dominate. They've done this a couple of games this season in this kind of circumstances. Uh, but I'm worried because Rams 49ers to me, and this is where I kind of reveal my age to someone like you, who we talked about this before the show. I was a little bit surprised that we that we synced up in the age group for a certain reason. But, Oscar, uh, Rams 49ers is the biggest rivalry for me as a Rams fan on my schedule and I want the Rams to win this game every year. I want them to win this. I want them to get the first round by and go into the playoffs on a high. Well, yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. I think the Rams just have too much talent for the 49ers right now. And, and even with an ailing Todd Gurley, I think Aaron Donald in that defense is going to be something for the 49ers. I think they're, I think Salah is going to have to have that too high game plan and he's going to have to ignore the run game. And, and that can make some things a little bit interesting, but Overall, I still think that Rams defense is talented enough in the right areas to give the 49ers fits. And if you get Mullins under pressure, this is where he begins to fall apart. I think he's a good quarterback and he's a he will be a serviceable backup in this in this league, especially if he stays with the 49ers. But right now, I think that the, the Rams have that that matchup that really gives the 49ers fits. And so uh, I think that the Rams probably end up winning by 10. And that means that they probably cover and win. And, and I think y'all get that by. And, and I agree with you. I think this is a good rivalry game. But I do think that right now the Rams are probably a little a little too talented for the 49ers. And so uh, it ends up with, you know, you know what? It's a win-win for Niners fans because we end up getting that draft pick. Uh, or we win the game. And, and honestly, if we win the game against the Rams and we win the game against Seattle, hey, we got one under our belts for uh, each division rival. And if not, then hey, hopefully... Uh, Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa is going to be chasing after uh, <laughs> or both. Yeah. Hey, or man. Both. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do both. Let's have a twin scenario. Let's do it. Uh, but Joe, where can folks find you uh, on the Twitters to, to throw some shade at you just in case the Niners end up winning? You can't. I've deleted my Twitter. I've deleted my Facebook. I've deleted my Instagram. I've deleted my post box. I've deleted my windows. I live in a cave now um, at three K underscore on Twitter, but follow us at Tertial times, man. Um, that's where you find more relevant discussions uh, to the to the crowd out there that you guys are speaking to. All right, so talk some shit uh, at three K. Please underscore. do, please do. Well, we invite 49ers fans, and <laughs> I, I mean that sincerely. We really do. Uh, all right, dude. Thanks for coming on again. It's always a pleasure, uh, and uh, maybe we'll talk about it uh, in a couple weeks because next week we're having no show. But uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll have some interesting stuff to talk about uh, here in a couple weeks. Oscar, happy holidays. Happy holidays to the Niners fans. And I look forward to seeing you guys next year with more vigor and vim in our rivalry. Same to you. Jimmy Garoppolo says hello. I do not say hello back to him. (laughs) Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks again to friends of the pod, Larry Dyer, Richard Reininger, Back from the Dead, uh, and 
Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times. We will not have a show next week, but we will be back the week after that to wrap up the year and get the off-season content started. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.